Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, uh, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 1. And if you were with us last week, we introduced a new sermon series entitled The Christmas of the Unexpected. And so we're unwrapping uh, some unexpected, long anticipated, but unexpected events uh, that we see in this Christmas season. Uh, Have you ever had something just so unexpected happen to you? Uh, and you're just kind of filled with those uh, motives, those, that perspective. When you just talk about unexpected, just something comes to mind. Last week, we talked about an unexpected gift that you received. Uh, uh, whenever I was in junior high, uh, my sister was dating a guy in Chicago. And so one uh, weekend, we went up to Chicago to visit him. And I was just a junior high kid. I can't really remember the, age, the certain age I was. I know I didn't have my license. And so all of us kids, we went out and he was going to show us around downtown. And so we're driving around downtown with a junior high kid in the back seat. And nonetheless, I'm just excited out of my mind and I'm acting like a complete fool. I'm hanging out the window. I'm just doing all this stuff. I'm yelling at people obnoxiously. Like I'm just having the best time in the world. No parents there. Uh, He can't really tell me what to do because I'm going to tell my parents and they're not going to like him, right? So I just have complete authority from the back seat. And so the back, but he's in a small car. And he's a bigger guy, and so he's in the front seat, my sister's in the front seat, and then there's three guys in the back seat. Mind you, in the middle was his brother, who was six foot six, six foot seven, probably 300 pounds uh, in high school. I was over six foot, my brother was over six foot at the time. We were crunched in the back seat, and we were just acting like fools. And so, sure enough, he turns a corner, and then all of a sudden, there's, there's sirens that go off, and then all of a sudden, he pulls over, And I am laughing out of my mind. Like I am uncontrollably laughing because this whole, this is perfect because he just got pulled over with me in the car, with my brother in the car, with my sister in the car. I'm going to live for this moment for a long time. Like I'm going to make fun of this guy for a long time. For the rest of my life, I'm thinking like this is just going to be, I was fully expecting him to just get a ticket, me to go home, be like, dad, guess what he got me into. He got the cops called on us, right? I was just going to have so much fun until I, I realized I didn't have my seatbelt on, right? You ever have those moments when you get pulled over and so you're, you're like trying to like hide it and you're just trying to discreetly kind of come over and you're trying to find next to this six, eight, 300 pounder, like get over it. Like you're sitting on my seatbelt, right? And so I'm trying to buckle and sure enough, I buckle about that time he comes up and I'm still trying to control my laughter. I just, I just cannot control my laughter at this time. And they're all getting frustrated with me. And I just can't, I'm, I'm real like squirrely air as a junior high kid. And all, until all of a sudden, uh, the cop doesn't go to his window. The cop goes to my window. And he knocks on my window. And he says, window down. I roll the window down. He says, sir, step out of the car. I'm a, I'm a junior high kid, and so I'm laughing. I'm uncontrolled. At this point, this is just the best day in the world for me. Like, I am, I'm, I'm getting asked to get out of the car for this officer, and so he, and he, and he searches me for, for narcotics. He searches me for drugs because of how I was acting and how frigidy I was in the car, and, and little did he know he was dealing with a 
junior high homeschooler, but, but nonetheless, like, it, it was totally unexpected. I fully expected to be able to just have fun with this guy for the rest of his life, and then it was the unexpected kind of turned on me. When I think of unexpected, I think of that story. And so we've been in this series, The Christmas of the Unexpected, and, and we're, we're looking at unexpected events that maybe were long anticipated, but surely were just so unexpected in the season in which they were in. And so last week we looked at this unexpected blessing from this barren woman and this priest, Elizabeth and Zacharias. And so we're going to continue their story. We're going to skip ahead. Next week we're going to go back and look at this unexpected couple. Pastor uh, Brett's going to deliver that message for us. And we're going to begin the story of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus and conclude that on Christmas morning. But we're going to skip ahead and look at how uh, this story of Zacharias and Elizabeth plays out. And so if you have a Bible, uh, chapter 1, verse 57, the Bible says this, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son, and when... Her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy on her. They rejoiced with her. And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child that they uh, would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, no, his name will be called John. And they said to her, there's none among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father, remember he's mute, what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And so they marveled and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke praising God. This is a common this is a common story that we hear this season. So this morning I want to lay out a couple Principles. I want to lay out a couple keys to understanding really the heart of this passage of what's taking place here. And so the first thing I want you to notice is we see through this passage the unexpected mercy of God. We see the unexpected mercy of God. Maybe you could say the, the undeserved mercy of God, which is what mercy essentially is. Look what it says. Now Elizabeth's full time came. This is uh, for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced. And so it's been a little over nine months since the April since the April, since the angel Gabriel appeared to uh, Zacharias in the temple. Remember, he goes home, and she's, she's with child, and amazing things. It's been a little over nine months. Here they all are full circle. The baby is born, and, and it shows us. The simple verse of verse 57 shows us what we saw last week. God is a God who keeps his promises all throughout the Bible. God is always a God who keeps his promises in his time, in his season, and we see that. And so what, what happens? They're moved to rejoice. Years of childlessness, long past the year of having children. There, the unexpected and long anticipated blessing came. They have a child, so they rejoice. But, but what I really love is that we see others are moved to rejoice with them. Others are moved to rejoice with them. We looked last week that childlessness in this day brought, uh, brought, brought speculation that this was actually a judgment from God. Like people are speculating, oh, what sin did they do? What sin is she involved in, right? And they're speculating. But we see that the, now they're actually moved to worship. That the mercy of God upon them has caused other people to be moved to worship. And what the angel said to Zacharias in the temple held true. Remember verse 14, it says, many will rejoice at his birth 
And here we see it. The, the, the promise of the angel stands true. Many have chosen to rejoice because God has been merciful to her. It, the mercy of God has even moved people to rejoice in what God was doing because it was so evident that God was doing the work. It was so evident that the mercy of God was upon this family. And so people just couldn't help but rejoice in what God was doing. It says that the Lord has shown great mercy to her. And aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? Aren't you thankful that the Bible says that every day his mercies renew, that his mercies uh, are new day in and day out? Well, what is mercy? Well, mercy is simply God not giving us what we deserve, right? As mercy is God not giving us the due judgment in which we're due to, in which, we, in which we deserve. That's the mercy of God. And we see the mercy of God all throughout the Bible. We see the mercy of God all throughout this text. We see the mercy of God all throughout our, our personal lives, whether we accept it or neglect it or not. The mercy of God is evident. We see it in the Bible. You see the mercy of God when uh, God sends Jonah to the Ninevites, even though they don't deserve it. We'll actually look at that in January sometime, that, that, that they were really enemies of Israel. We see the mercy of God uh, on the King, King Manasseh, when he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but Second Chronicles uh, 33 says that God was merciful on him. You see the mercy of God in the prodigal son story. You see the mercy of God in the adulterous woman story when Jesus is like, hey, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone, right? You see the mercy of God in the life of Epaphroditus that we saw a couple weeks ago through the series of Philippians, because the Bible will say, I think it's in Philippians 2, that he was sick and he almost died, but then it says, but God had what? mercy on him. You see the mercy of God in the life of Paul in 1 Timothy 1 chapter 3. Paul will say, because of the mercy of God, I'm here. He knew my past. He knew what I've done, but the mercy of God is evident. You see the mercy of Christ on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. The mercy of God is so evident, but so often it's the mercy of God is what's neglected. Psalm 86, 15 says this, you, O Lord, are a God merciful. You, O Lord, are a God gracious. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And, and, and what's rooted in the mercy of God is his love for us. That God is merciful in large part because he loves us. He's merciful, even though we don't deserve it. Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That, that we have a sin payment that we cannot pay and we deserve a damnation because we cannot pay the sin payment that is due to us. It's unpayable, but God was merciful, but our sin has separated us from God, but God chose to love, but he chose to be gracious. He chose to be merciful. That while we were still actively in sin, he actually died for us and he sent his son, John 3.6 for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because God is a merciful God. Titus chapter 3 uh, in uh, verse 5 says this. He says, Our Savior appeared unto us not because of our own righteousness but because of his what? Mercy. That God is a God of mercy, and it's evident there's this unexpected and undeserving mercy. And so they rejoice, but it also causes others to rejoice in the mercy of God. And we see the fullness of his mercy when he sends Jesus, who in a, minute, in a couple of weeks we'll see is he's born of a virgin, and, and he lives a sinless, perfect life, but he takes our, our just condemnation as he gives us the mercy and the grace of God. And we see the mercy of God through, throughout it all. What a blessing, what a blessing it is. 
And the very, the very word mercy in this context is so fascinating because it talks about God not giving us the judgment in which we deserve, right? That's, that's what it's talking about. And in the very context, Zacharias and Elizabeth lived in this judgment, not from God, but from others, from speculation. They lived their life full of people saying, man, I wonder what the judgment is. And here God is instilling mercy. And here he's showing God is a merciful God. God is merciful here. And what we find is that there was mercy in bringing them safely through a time of speculation. There was mercy in giving them a child. There was mercy in God using them. There was mercy in God allowing this child to be used by God too. There's the mercy of God all throughout this text. And here's what we need to know. There's the mercy of God in our lives too. Like God, is, God is merciful, and we should understand that. But it's so easy for us as American Christians to neglect the mercies of God because of the expectations that we have each and every day. And it can even bleed in our faith, if we're honest. Like we expect so much of God that sometimes we fail to remember Romans 6.23, that our sin has separated us from the love of God, and we deserve no mercy, but we get mercy. But how is that changing our lives? How is that changing the, the culture and the heartbeat of even this very church? How is the mercy of God changing the way that you live? How is the mercy that God has bestowed upon you changing the perspectives in which, in which you have? And we can uh, fail to, ne we can neglect the mercy of God and get our mind on so many different other things and, and takes away from what God has called us to do. That, that the very reason we have breath in our lungs is because God was merciful to us. That the very reason we have money in our bank account, no matter if you don't like how much is there, is because God has been gracious and merciful to you because the Old Testament said that he holds all the riches in silver that God has been merciful you, to you to give you talents and to give you abilities. It was given to you by a sovereign God. And that's an act of mercy. That in a way, we deserve no good, but we have good because of the mercy of God. Ephesians 2.5 will tell us that, that it's by grace that we have anything good. God, God is gracious to us. God is merciful to, to us. And we see it here in this text. And our response to the mercy of God should be to humbly get on our knees and worship him. Now that's going to be the response of Zacharias here in a moment to, to worship God, to praise God because he, he is good. And he, and he did that long before the blessing ever came. He had a habit of praising God. He had a habit of living obedient to God. And the mercies that God gives us, that's, that's why we should never neglect them. We should remember the mercies are new every day and we should dwell in the mercies of God each and every day. And that should lead us to a place of worship. But so often it just leads us to a place of just expecting a little bit more, right? Let me ask, when's the last time that the mercy of God in your life brought you to your knees? When's the last time? When's the last time that, that you couldn't sing a song because of a tear rolling down your cheek because God has been merciful? That God has been good? That, that, that he, you know what you deserve. You deserve eternal separation from God. And although you may be facing seasons of hurt or seasons of suffering or seasons of financial loss or even seasons of death, that God has been good because God has not given us what we deserve. When's the last time that shook us? When's the last time that that's, that's caused us to, to maybe not get involved in the, in the marriage conflict or maybe not get involved in, in the wrapped up, getting wrapped up with getting, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, but, but it's caused us to, to 
fall on our face before a merciful God because he's good, because he deserves it. We see the mercy of God and we can see the mercy of God in our lives too. As the song goes, your mercy brings me to my knees. As the morning calls to light the dark in me, heaven's story breathing life into my bones. Spirit, lift me from this wasteland and lead me home. Now find, now I find my life in yours, my eyes on you alone. The mercy of God. Secondly, what we see here is this. We see unexpected praise. We see unexpected praise. Look at verse 59. It says this. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise this child that they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But his mother answered and said, no, his name's John. And they said to her, there's there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to the father and, and, and he came over and he asked for a tablet and he says, no, his name is John. His name is Yohanan. And so they all marveled and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he praised his God. God shows mercy and they show continued obedience. Since they circumcised this child on the eighth day, circumcision is, of course, the covenant relationship. It's a symbol of the covenant relationship between God and Israel. Genesis 17 speaks of that. But significantly, we see in this text that that it also is a time where they would name their child eight days later. The parents probably knew the name, but this is the day that they would kind of announce the the name of the child. Uh, Births in Israel were significant. They were unique because it was really a gathering. This is neighbors and relatives would gather together. And interestingly, if if it was a boy, there'd be celebration. If it was a girl, they'd go home. That was kind of the, the symbolism there because the, the line continued with the male. They truly believed that God's blessing was more upon the male just because of the, the heritage and different things of that nature. And so this was kind of the context. There was a great celebration. God has been merciful because God has not just given you a child, but God has given you a boy and God has been working in your life. And it's evident. And so here they are, that they're going through this process. And Elizabeth says, hey, his name is John. His name is Yohanan. God is gracious. And, and they're like, hold up. You're old, uh, Elizabeth. You're old. Probably, this is probably your only shot, uh, unless there's some crazy other blessings going on here. Like, this is probably your only shot. Your poor husband can't even speak. You're not even going to name the kid after him. What type of person are you, right? And you know, his name is John. And so they motion for Zacharias, come over here. He's like, what's his name? Like, they can't talk. So they, he asked for a tablet. And he's like, John is his name. What's he saying? God has been gracious and God is gracious is his name. God has been gracious to us and God is gracious will be his name. And at the moment of faith, at the moment of obedience, his tongue is loose. And because of the mercy of God upon him, he cannot help but echo the the, the praise to God for what God has done. Someone once said it this way, his nine months of muteness has not been inflicted on him in vain, He's no longer faithless, but he's actually believing. He now believes every word that the angel spoke. Every word of the message was obeyed. The reality is that sorrow that humbles us should drive us nearer to God. That sorrow can actually be a blessing. Sorrow can actually be downright gain. And it was for the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. But we see this unexpected praise because he was mute. He was unable to speak, but we also see that this unexpected praise was contagious because verse 65 will show us here in just a second that the people were in awe that God was moving in this way. The people were in awe. It says this, verse 65, then fear came upon all those who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed 
throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child could this be? Because the hand of the Lord was with them. Imagine the scene, right? The conversation went from, I wonder what the sin could be, <laughs> to the hand of the Lord is with them. Because, because God was evident through this, through this whole process. God has been evident time and time again. But, but, ima- but imagine the scene, right? Like we're a little community here and we go up to somebody and we're like, hey, hey, you're kind of new around this area. Let, let, me, let, me, let me give you some insight on the people, right? Here's, here's, here's Evan, he's up there playing, right? Here's Daniel, he used to have long luscious hair. Here's over here, watch out for that Darren guy. He's dangerous, right? That we can go around the room and then all of a sudden there's like, oh, there's Elizabeth and Zacharias. Their kids didn't, their kids didn't move away. Actually, rumor has it, uh, I'm not trying to speculate, but I think it could be this or th- that was a rumor. Like, what was God's judgment? And then all of a sudden, uh, now I'm really speculating, but now all of a sudden, Zacharias had, had, goes to the temple and then all of a sudden he's mute, right? He says he saw an angel, but who really knows what happened at the altar of incense? Maybe God's judging him too. We don't really know. Like, I'm speculating obviously at this point, but then obviously they have a baby. And then, and then, and then John, and then uh, uh, what's his name? Zacharias speaks. John speaks. That would be crazy. But Zacharias speaks, right? And, and the people went from once speculating to really submitting that God's hand was involved in this whole process. They went from rumors to rejoicing that God was evident and that God was moving again. Remember, it's been 400 years really since God has spoke. And all of a sudden there's evidence that something miraculous is taking place. The mercy of God moves people to really praise the Lord. But notice the praise was not in the priest. The praise was not in the barrenness of a woman. The praise was that God's hand was upon this. The praise was that God, it's evident. God is moving here. It's evident that God is, God is working here. God, God is doing something here. Have you ever had that moment happen to you where you're being in a situation or, or maybe you just hear about it and it's just so evident that God is doing something, that God is orchestrating something and it just moves you to praise? You, you can't even help but simply to praise God because just how God has worked his, his magic in a way, just how God has worked his will and his way and it just moves you to a point of praising. I think of Praise Sunday. We, we walked around this room. We told praises of how God, we, we've endured and we've, we've stayed persistent in prayer and God has worked and God has moved and, and we rejoice together. We cried together. We celebrated together. But I also think of people in the, even in this very room who, who've done the same thing. They've endured They've been persistent in prayer and God hasn't chosen to move in the way that they have been praying for, but they stay consistent. They continue to submit their ways to his ways and trust that although God may never do it, I still trust that he could, but I submit to his, his ways. In the same way we see this, and, and, the, and the Bible says that this was, this was the conversation on the street, but, but the reality is this couple learned long ago to submit and worship God in barrenness, and so when blessing came, they, they knew how to submit and worship God too. They, they were faithful. They, they were consistent. They, they were not prosperous because they were doing this. Uh, God simply chose to use them, but they learned how to worship and to submit to God when God wasn't showing up. And so they were able to when God did show up. As a pastor, especially a youth pastor, I had the privilege of, of being there for students uh, among hard situations. And I remember 
uh, being in the room with students when parents were announcing a divorce. I, I remember being there with students and having to make some phone calls to the authorities about abuse. I've actually bailed a student out of jail before, long story. Uh, but I've, I've done a couple things. I've been there with students when, when they've lost parents. I've been there with students when they found out it was cancer. I've been there with students through, through, through different circumstances. But I'll never forget one moment. I was with one of my closest friends in Pittsburgh, and we were in my office, and he was doing some video work for me. So he was kind of looking the other way. I was studying for a message. I was going to preach the next uh, day. And all of a sudden, he gets a phone call that nobody wants to get. He gets a phone call, and he, he, uh, I didn't really know what the phone call was at that time, but he just took it, and all of a sudden he ran out. He left everything, his wallet, everything, and just took off, and he didn't come back. And later I found out that he got the phone call nobody wants to get, that his, that his dad had a heart attack, and that his dad and not only had a heart attack, but he hit his head. He's unconscious. And I'll, ne I'll never forget the, that moment because those, those next 24 to 36 hours, I've never seen the power of prayer more than I've seen in those moments. The power of prayer was so evident. We were fervent. We had people confessing sins. We had people gathering together at all times to pray. And I truly believe, I truly believe full-heartedly that God was going to heal this man because of how persistent God's people were in prayer. We were, we were engraved in it. I'll never forget the next day, maybe a day and a half, we were uh, preparing for a Wednesday night and I was doing games with, we had a large youth event that night that we still did and I was doing games and I felt even bad doing games just because of the moment and, uh, but he was the game guy and so I, he, I knew he would have wanted us to do the games and so we did the games and sure enough, we were walking back in this long hallway going back to, to, to our, our chapel is what we called it, to preach a message and I was gonna preach a message on hallowed be thy name. We're going through a series on the Lord's Prayer, just kind of started it out. And, and I was planning to preach that message. And I'll never forget where I was at. We were walking back and you get the news, they didn't make it. And I remember in that moment I was struggling because, because God, we did everything you asked. Like we were persistent, your presence was felt. God, you were moving. And I'll never forget, I was about to preach Hallowed Be Thy Name. And I, I literally said in my prayer, God, I don't wanna preach Hallowed Be my, Thy Name. This does not make sense. How did you do this when we prayed like this and it didn't make sense in my own mind and through God's mercy, I had to submit my will to his and I had to get through the message and continue to, to, to know that God was good and trust his ways. But I say that because, because in those moments, I'll never forget the next few days at that, at that funeral and working with those, those people and my close friend, I'll never forget, not just the peace, everybody talks about the peace that, that is within the family, but I'll never forget the praise that how that family was moved to praise the Lord, although there was unwanted and unexpected tragedy that absolutely shook their life. And, and I'll tell you one thing, if that family taught me one thing, it was how to praise the Lord. Like they thought, taught hundreds of people how to praise. What is praise? Praise is the expression of approval to God. That's praise. It's the expression of approval. That it's easy to praise God when, when God blesses, right? John, I mean, uh, Zacharias, God blessed me with a boy. Praise the Lord. But it's a whole different thing to, to learn how to praise God when you have to submit that his ways are higher. And this couple lived both. They lived both. We saw last week there was this unwanted burden 
that brought this unexpected years of unwanted burdens, by the way. It wasn't just like, hey, I got this little unwanted burden for a little short season. Years, they're old. Years of unwanted burden, speculation, and judgment upon them. So they thought years of unwanted burden led them to this unexpected blessing, led them to another season of suffering, of muteness. But all along, no matter what, they were praising God. They were praising God. They were trusting God. And it caused people who once speculated to stand in awe that God was moving, to stand in awe that God's mercy is real, to stand in awe that God was moving in all things. Because look what verse 66 says. What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. Then look at verse 80. It gives kind of the spoiler. So this child grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the deserts. The deserts would be the wilderness. This is where prophets were prepared for hardships. So he was in the deserts. He was in the wilderness till the day of his manifestation in Israel. And here's the cool thing. From the very beginning of John's life, he was pointing people to the mercy of Christ. That's what he came to do. From the very beginning, he was moving people to rejoice, not in his father, not in him, not in his mother, but in the Lord. What a beautiful picture that is. We see unexpected mercy. We get it every day. We see unexpected praise. We should do it every day. And then we finally see the unexpected plan, verse 67. We see the unexpected plan. Zacharias will give his kind of famous prophecy here. It says this, Now the father of Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord of Israel, for he has visited to redeem his people and has raised up the horn of salvation. Horn for Israelites symbolized strength. They, they thought animals with horns were, were superior. And so the horn of salvation, the strength of salvation, you could say, uh, for us in the house of his servant David, which where the lineage would continue, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have, once, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. And so the the Bible says Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. This doesn't symbolize salvation. This symbolizes the empowerment of God and the Spirit to do, to act, to speak. And so he speaks, and he kind of gives us a three-folded message. We didn't read it all yet, but he says he, he starts with the final plan of God, the final plan that he has. He then goes to the, the purpose of the prophet, John the Bapti Baptist or baptizer, and then he goes to the peace of the plan. And so he kind of lays these things out. And so the first thing is in verse 68 and 75. I'm not going to read it again because of time, but he talks about the final plan. This is the final plan. Essentially, it says, blessed be the Lord because he remembers his promises and he will redeem his people. Summarization, that's what he's saying. And he's not speaking to spiritual deliverance. He's speaking to literal deliverance. He's speaking to a time where God will literally deliver the people. He's speaking of the final plan. He, he's, he's, not, he's talking about the final mission. The first time Jesus will come, has come for us now, was to, was to cleanse us of our sins and pay for the penalty of sin. But he's speaking of the second time, the, the promise where Jesus will come again and, and, and free us really from the very presence of sin and corruption. He's speaking of something that is yet to take place, something that is prophesied about many, many times. He's speaking of Revelation 19, that final battle the battle of Armageddon. This is the final plan that Jesus didn't only come to save us from the 
uh, the, the penalty of sin, but he will one day come to save us from the very presence of sin. And he's speaking to God's final plan. He's looking past the cross in a way and looking for the final plan of Christ that's been long anticipated and long desired. This is what he is speaking of. And 500 years before John the Baptist is ever born, there is a prophet, Zechariah, that speaks of something that the priest, Zechariah, is giving light to. I'm not going to read it, but Zechariah chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 3 through 9 speaks of this very thing. And this is the final plan of God. And it's amazing to see all of this being transpired and giving clarity here. And then look at verse 72. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. That God is a God again that has a plan and he will see his plans through. He will keep his promises. His, uh, his, he is faithful to see things through. Look at verse 73. In the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, I love this, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, what's the key? Might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. That's the plan. That's what Christ and God's idea for all this is, that we may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. And Zacharias is, pra Zacharias is praising God for something that is yet to take place, but he's announcing it with a surety like it's already taken place because he knows by experience that God is a God who keeps his promises. God is a God who will see things through in his season, which leads us to the final plan that he has, that we might serve him with fear, without fear in holiness and righteousness. That we can serve him without fear. The goal of deliverance is to bring us into a position of unwavering worship. Without fear. And holiness and righteousness that we can uh, seasonally do that now through spiritual deliverance, but, but fear is a reality. We, we fail to be righteous. We fail to be holy in our actions, but there's a, there's a time coming when, when the final plan is that we're a, we'll be able to do that in holiness and righteousness and serve God. Remember what Moses was commanded to say to, to Pharaoh in Exodus 7? He says this, You shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews sent me to say to you, let my people go, meaning let God's people go. And a lot of times, especially in the kids' stories, we stop it right there, let my people go. But he continues, and he says, and he says this, that they may serve me in the wilderness, that they may serve God in the wilderness. In other words, that they may serve God freely in the wilderness. In other words, that they may worship God freely in the wilderness, that God's final plan isn't just for, isn't just for freedom, it's for worship. It's for unwavering worship. This is his final plan to eliminate sin and allow us to enter a place of divine and intimate worship with God. And we can do that today, and we should have a desire to do that today, but this is his final plan. And then notice we see this. We see the prophet's role in salvation. We see the prophet's role. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. Remember what the angel of the Lord said last week? He says this, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he's showing it to be true. He, he's showing right before our eyes the prophecy of the forerunner of Christ is being revealed. Isaiah 40 verse 3, Malachi 3 verse 1. Isaiah says this, a voice cries in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the deserts a highway for our Lord. Malachi 3 1 says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly appear. And this was John's purpose. 
The purpose of the forerunner was to prepare the way. He lived this mission. He lived on purpose. He lived for this purpose. And here's Rowdy. We have a purpose too. (laughs) What's our purpose? To love the Lord thy God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. To love others as ourselves. To magnify the Lord. To allow the Lord to be magnified to me. To be image bearers of Christ. To point people to Jesus. To fulfill the great commission. Uh, Are we walking in our purpose? We see uh, this forerunner of Christ walked in his purpose, but, but the, really the principle can be, are we walking in ours? Are we fulfilling the purpose that God has for us? And there's really no greater season than to fulfill the purpose. There's no easier season than right this season, right now. We can look at anything and point it to Jesus, right? You can look at a reef on a wall and be like, hey, that's eternal life. We point it to Jesus. We, we, can, look, we, can, we can do anything. And so, and so are we. Are we fulfilling the purpose that God has given us to fulfill? The prophet, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, he was fulfilling his purpose. And then the last thing that we see is we see the peace in salvation. We see the peace in the plan of salvation because it says this, 76 through 70, or sorry, 77 through 79, to give the knowledge of salvation. Now he's, he's changing pace here. He's not speaking of literal Uh, deliverance. Now he's speaking of spiritual deliverance because then he says next, he says to give knowledge of salvation. How do you know he's, he's switching gears to his people by the remission of their sins. Now he's speaking spiritually. Now he's speaking of our need currently. How, how do we have this through the tender mercy? There's the mercy of God again, in which the day spring, the rise of the sun from on high has visited us. And John comes and he lives his life to point people to Christ. He lives his life uh, to tell people of a need, not for, not for political deliverance, not for literal deliverance, but for spiritual deliverance. This is, of course, why Jews would reject Jesus, because they didn't see a need for spiritual deliverance. They saw a need for literal and political deliverance and dominance, and so they would reject that. That's why many of them reject Jesus. But, but John lives his life, and he goes out into the wilderness, the desert, and, and he tells people about their sins. <laughs> And he points people to a deliverer coming. He lives his life. Hey, you need not, not political deliverance. He says, you need spiritual deliverance. And there's one coming to seek and to save that which is lost. There's one coming who I'm not even worthy to, to tie his shoes. And, he, and then he gives a picture of that through baptism, through immersion. And he goes and he, he'll baptize people to symbolize what Jesus will do, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now we symbolize what Jesus has done, the death, burial, and resurrection. And he'll live his life pointing people, not to political, but to, but to the remission of sins, that there's a deliverer coming and he's coming to save people from their sins. And John was born to point people to the tender mercy of God. Because God says, because the Bible says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Jesus clearly says in John 10, 7, I'm the door. I'm the door. If anyone comes by me, they can be saved. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus uh, showed us that he is the only way. He's the only door. He's the only truth. He's the only light. And John lives his life to point people to the only door, to the only way. And therein lies the problem because we're stubborn. (laughs) Our, Our world is a stubborn world because we don't believe it's the only way. If I were to tell you this exit right here, 
I need everybody to exit through this door. Silly illustration, doesn't compare. But if I were to say, you probably didn't even know there's a door there. There's an exit sign, there's some tables and chairs. After the service, everybody needs to exit through this door. Everyone, hear me? Four, four things are gonna happen. One, you're gonna exit through that door. You're gonna heed. Maybe there's like a meeting going on over there. Maybe there's, this door doesn't work. This door's broken. So I'm just gonna listen, even though I parked over here. I'll, I'll, I'll exit through it. You'll listen, you'll heed. The next one you'll do is, is you'll, you'll neglect. Maybe you're sleeping, right? Wake up. Uh, come on. Like maybe you just don't hear it correctly because, because you're preoccupied. Uh, thirdly, you'll delay. Maybe you'll linger here. Maybe you'll fellowship and maybe you'll help, help set something up or clean something up and have a good conversation and then you'll just delay. You'll, you'll neglect, you'll forget, and you'll go home on your drive home and be like, oh, I was supposed to exit through that door. I totally spaced it because you delayed. And then the fourth thing is you'll blatantly ignore it. <laughs> that makes no sense. There's no way that's the only door. I parked over here. I came through that door. That is, that is, there's no way that's the only door to exit. Now, it's a silly illustration, but that's the world we live. That there's a world that we live in that is actively saying no. There's no way that's the only way. There's no way Jesus is the only door. There's no way Jesus is the only way. There's no way. I'm going to investigate myself. And some will blatantly reject it. Some will choose to accept it. Some will delay. I know that's probably the way. I'm going to live my life how I want to live. There's another group that's like, I'm going to figure this out for myself. There's a group that's like, hey, I'm going to investigate. But then, but then they'll, they'll come up short because they'll, they'll, they'll neglect it too long. And this is the world we live. And there's a world that we live in says, this is a world of opportunity. America is a world of opportunity. There's no way that's the only way. And John will live his life to point people that, hey, this, this is the only way. This is the only way. This is the door. This is the way. And now we're commissioned to do the same. That, hey, this is the only way. To have eternal life, to have peace on this earth, this is the only way to be saved. It continues, in which the day spring, the rise of the sun from on high, has visited us to give us light to those who sit in darkness. He says to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's a beautiful way to say the Messiah is on his way and he will give light to the dark and he will declare the way and peace is on its way. Hope can be found, and we'll talk about it in just a couple weeks. And through the mercy of God, John was used to declare a message that light is on its way, that hope is on its way. And this light of Christ is the only light in which darkness flees, in which death is defeated, in which there's true peace and hope found. This is the light that, that, that can deliver spiritual deliverance. And so let me ask, do you know Christ? Has there been a time when, when you've been saved, when you've confessed with your mouth and you've went from darkness to light? You have no hope, but you've found hope in Christ because he's the only way. He's not a way, a method. He's the method. He's the way. And he says, if you believe in me and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you can be saved. Do you believe? And if you believe, understand that there's mercy. His mercies are new every day. But, but does that change how we live our life? Does that lead us to our knees because of how merciful God has been? And does that also lead us to praise? Lord, you've been good. Uh, like muteness, first thing I can do is I'm praising you. Well, Lord, suffering, I'm, I'm staying faithful. I'm praising you. I'm living for you. Are we, are we praising the Lord in all things? And are we following the plan of God? Do you know him? You can't follow his plan if you don't know him. 
And are you falling, are you fulfilling what God has called us to do? And may we do that in this season and may we reverently praise God in all things like Zacharias did. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the unexpected. Every day we receive your mercy is unexpected. And yet it's so often neglected. We just get used to you being so good. We just get used to, to you giving us life, to you giving us breath, to you giving us time, to you giving us chance, to you giving us opportunity, to you blessing us. And Lord, I pray that we'll be a people that would not neglect the blessings in which you bestow upon us. That your grace to save us, your mercy to not give us what we deserve, not only eternally, but every single day. When I sin, you don't give me what I deserve. You, you're gracious to me. You're merciful to me. When I fall short, you're merciful. When I get angry, you're merciful. Lord, I pray that we won't be a people that take advantage of your mercy and your grace, but we're a, pe we're a people that will change and cultivate a, a mindset that says, I'm following Jesus more intimately because he is worthy, because he is good. No matter what I face in life, I can fall on my knees because God is a merciful God and he deserves my worship. And so I can't help but praise him. And may we leave this place with the active praise on our hearts. There's a lot we can complain about, but may we be moved to praise. May we be moved to worship. May we be moved to stand in awe that a God would come down and sacrifice his only begotten son to save us, but then offer his spirit to fill us to seal us and to allow us to live this life with hope only found in you. And so may we live in that light and Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.